Shall I take your order, or do you need a minute? Ah, yes, I'll be ready. Just buying a car on Carvana. What? It's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. What? That's handy. Yeah. Now I'm customizing my down and monthly payments. What? That's an exquisite deal. And just like that, Carvana's delivering my car in a couple days. What? Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry. I'll have the burrito. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Delivery fees may apply. When Janair Girardo suspected her husband was cheating, she secretly recorded him and heard the proof he was having an affair. Why do they get to be happy? And why do I have to suffer? I just love him so much. I can't take it. And then Janair began recording herself, revealing how and why she was about to kill two people. Well, more breaking news now from Delaware. Radnor police say Janair Garrido ambushed the 33-year-old. One of the big questions any mental health professional struggles with is, isn't everybody who commits murder mentally ill? To which most of us would say no, not necessarily. From Podcast One, I'm Barbara Schroeder, writer-director of Netflix's Evil Genius, introducing Bad Bad Thing. The shocking story that made headlines around the world. Subscribe to Bad Bad Thing at Spotify, Apple, or anywhere you get your podcasts. He turned me into a monster because he doesn't know anything about honesty. Inside Tracker, of course, you've heard me talk about them before. They want you to take charge of your health and wellness. An ultra-personalized performance system analyzes data from your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness tracker. Founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging and genetics, and each recommendation is backed by science rigorously reviewed, directly linking you to published peer-reviewed scientific publications. It is the state of the art. Track your progress and adjust based on real-time feedback from your body. And at Inside Tracker, if you go to insidetracker.com/drew, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Do check it out. Inside Tracker tracks your project every day, every step of the way towards you reaching your performance goals and hopefully living a longer, healthier life. Again, that is Inside Tracker, T R A C K E R, insidetracker.com/drew. Shall I take your order, or do you need a minute? Yes, I'll be ready. Just buying a car on Carvana. What? It's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. What? That's handy. Yeah. Now I'm customizing my down and monthly payments. What? That's an exquisite deal. And just like that, Carvana's delivering my car in a couple days. What? Oh yeah. Uh, sorry. I'll have the burrito. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Delivery fees may apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, again, keep the wind in the sail of that pirate ship. We appreciate it so much. Don't forget to check me out at drdrew.tv. We have a uh, drdrew.tv. We have streaming shows there. And uh, they've been really interesting lately. There's uh, All of them are up. You can take a look at them with some interesting, interesting stuff. Just uh, Scott Adams yesterday, in fact, or last week, rather. And, um, yeah, and we are also, of course, at your mom's house with After Dark. And uh, check out the Instagram, drdrewpinski, drdrewpinski. And uh, spent a little time on TikTok yesterday doing a live TikTok, which I try to do on a regular basis. I'm way behind and actually – producing TikToks, but I'll try to get that as well. That's just old, plain old at Dr. Drew. Today, Katie Morton is with me. The book is Traumatized, Identify, Understand, and Cope with PTSD and Emotional Stress. 
traumatized, Katie. There could be a no, no more relevant topic than that, in my humble opinion. I know, especially after the year, year and a half, two years we've had, I feel like right. it's been forever. Right. I, I'm sure you could have written the book before that, but the sort of stressors of the moment have I, I re-traumatized or add to the trauma symptoms, I'm sure, for many. Yeah, especially, and I'm sure you've you've heard like relapse rates are up, you know, for those who suffer from drug and alcohol addiction, because, you know, we're, for lack of a better term, totally triggered by this last year. I, I neglected to mention you can follow Katie on Twitter at Katie, K-A-T-I Morton, and Instagram at Katie Morton 1. Uh, is there a website, Katie? Yeah, it's just katiemorton.com. Perfect. Yep. Uh, Katie's a clinical psychologist. We've known each other for a long time, and uh, particularly this book I'm very, very interested in. I just wrote a book with my daughter called It Doesn't Have to Be Awkward about about uh, relationships and uh, consent, which is kind of interesting in the in the shadow or aftermath of all this talk about Governor Cuomo's inability to understand what consent is, what's involved in consent. But OK. Uh, but trauma, you know, I, I have had my eye on trauma and uh, – there's actually a world world of traumatology. Uh, there's actually International Society of Traumatologists. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, Bessel van der Bessel van der Kolk is sort of oh, sort of the leader. Oh, body keeps that. the score. Body yeah, such a score. great book. And uh, Peter Levine, the Waking the Tiger, and there's so much great stuff out there. People should be aware of. And your book, of course, falls in line with that literature. But this has been going on for a long time. That uh, childhood trauma. We're talking about childhood trauma primarily. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. D- discuss what trauma is and how to identify it and, and who should be thinking about this. Yeah, I think probably the broadest definition for trauma is anything that happens in our life that makes us fear for our safety or the safety of someone else. And it is overwhelming to our system so much so that we are unable to process it in the moment. I, I sort of uh, tell people to think about feelings of of powerlessness and helplessness. That that's mm-hmm. that's the sign that you're in one of those moments. And yeah. do we want to talk about what happens to people when they're in a traumatic situation in terms of their brain and psychology? Yes, of course. Um, for people who don't know, when when you are overwhelmed, when our nervous system is overwhelmed, it pushes us into what's called our stress response or what we usually call fight flight. And Dr. Peter Levine is a great example of the reason that we talk about fight flight freeze because when our body goes into the stress response, it's ready in us to take action, right? Can I, can I fight this threat to my system or my safety or can I run away? And it was his belief that when we can't do either of those, which happens a lot when we're children, right? Because we're not strong enough or fast enough, we can feel trapped. We go into that free state, like a play dead kind of situation. And it is his belief and research obviously proves it that in the free state is, is one of the ways PTSD and those symptoms are born. Because of that helpless, like I like that you said, you know, that hopeless, helpless feeling is is definitely what causes us to be traumatized. And there's actually a name for that neurologically. It's called Jacksonian dissolution where we – so brains don't evolve into different systems. We sort of add stuff on top. And we go from this fight or flight response that is a fairly – evolved mammalian thing to a mm-hmm. deeper mechanism that's in our brainstem mediated by the vagus nerve. We did how many interviews with Stephen Porges? Uh, oh, at least two or three? Theory. Polyvagal theory. We, we, he's going to give us the number of those of those interviews and he talks about the polyvagal theory and how, how the pro-social emotional exchange system of the vagus nerve becomes uh, not functioning <laughs> in the free state. 63 and 90. That was episode 63 and 90. And then um, Alan Shore is a nice 
uh, cohort with all this, maybe Alan Shore, I think it was a little earlier even, where he's talking about, again, the biology of trauma. Go ahead. Okay, here it comes. Episode. I see Gary working away there. It's not coming up as fast as I wanted. Hold on. <laughs> Episode 10? Oh, no, wait. No, it's just not coming up as okay. fast as I wanted. All Give right. me a sec. All right. So so there's a lot of this biology that's been worked out. Um, in my experience, one of the big issues that happens as a result of the pain of having this powerlessness uh, and the sort of experience of shattering our emotional regulatory systems is it makes young people not trust closeness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and closeness is where – what episode? 65. 65, for sure. Uh, closeness is where everything happens with humans, right? And yeah. so talk about that a little bit and how you get people through that. Yeah, connection. I mean, we're wired for connection from birth, right? I don't think enough people recognize even just the the fact if you talk about the vagus nerve, like sucking and swallowing to be fed as a child, like off of a bottle or being breastfed or whatever, as we're sucking and swallowing, that vagus nerve is being stimulated and we feel soothed and connected. And that is so vital to our growth as a human and healing, you know, as a human and feeling cared for. And so if we've been raised in an environment where maybe no one came when we cried, right? Or maybe there was abuse in the household. So we came to, instead of getting that connection and that security, that self-soothing and soothing by being cared for, we were hurt or harmed or, or, you know, exploited in some fashion. And so it can, we can get to a point in our life where closeness or connection actually feels dangerous. Something that I find really fascinating about trauma and dealing with my patients and my viewers, even with PTSD is they've let me know that sure, certain situations in life can be triggering and overwhelming, but also feeling safe, even the word safe or trying to come up with a safe place is too scary because we don't even know what that looks like. And what was supposed to be deemed as quote unquote safe was not right. That's that's where the trauma happens. That's where the trauma, they go to that safe place. That's where they expect trauma. Because it feel vulnerable, right? Right. We let our guard down. And a lot of times for those of you out there then thinking, well, what am I supposed to try to do? I always tell my patients, we're looking for neutrality. Like maybe it's, this sounds silly, but sometimes you can be, as calm and, you know, okay, just putting the dishes away or folding laundry, repetitive tasks can be really soothing to our system without having to feel safe yeah. and then therefore, you know, vulnerable. Right. How does somebody identify if they have issues with trauma and what in the book helps us with that? Let's say. Yeah, there's a ton of different questions that I, I pose to the reader so they can kind of assess their own. I talk about the ACEs. I don't know if anybody is familiar with the ACEs study, but it was a, it was a huge shift in how we think and talk about childhood trauma. Well, and it's it was, a, it was when the medical community finally began acknowledging that this affects everything. And I think what's, what still isn't emphasized enough in the ACE a stands for adverse childhood experiences, and it was a it was a so called famous study in the I think late nineties at, at Kaiser. Yeah. Um, and the the what's not emphasized is what's on the list of aces. Have you looked at the list? Yeah, it's in the book actually. Good. The questionnaire. Great, because most people have no idea about at least a third of the things on the list that they are actually are deemed adverse childhood experiences. Divorce. A parent with addiction, a domestic abuse, and domestic abuse is a broad category. Your parents yelling at each other is domestic abuse. Yeah. Um, a, a a family member in prison, 
Mm-hmm. You just you only need three of these, and you're in trouble, yeah. right? And that these are common things. Yeah, and I think the important thing, and one of my a good friend and colleague of mine, Dr. Alexa Altman, she's a psychologist and trauma specialist, and she talks about she calls them big T's and little T traumas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in unfortunately in society for years, we've thought of it only as big T's, right? I mean, you could track PTSD back to being called shell shock, you know, men returning from war and not being the same. And how we think of it as like these big accidents and big things that happen to us. And yes, that can cause us to struggle with symptoms of PTSD. However, we can also have these little T traumas and that's not to minimize either. I don't want anybody to think just because we're calling them little T's that they're not as, you know, burdensome or painful, but those little T traumas can be things like I had to move a lot as a kid. Yep. I, um, you know, my parents got a divorce and that was, you know, my whole life was kind of up in upheaval. Uh, I was bullied or, you know, um, I don't know, there could be any number of things that we go through that we don't consider in, you know, I don't know, regular conversation as being a trauma, but it most definitely is. Well, and the way the brain works is it works very hard to put it away. And mm-hmm. so the, the trauma victim often will say, I, I don't think about it anymore. I've dealt with it. It just doesn't bother me anymore. No, it had an effect on your brain body system. It's not yes. that you. It's not that you're having explicit memories about it, or it's top of mind. It's affecting your nervous system to this day and your relationships. Oh, one hundred percent. Especially because if we stuff it down, you know, I don't. I don't have any problems with it anymore. Yeah. I already dealt with it. I yeah. thought about it once, but, and I'm over. I mean, it. How many? Ta- what percentage of time do patients with trauma say those words? Oh, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. That's what I thought you would say. One hundred percent of the time. So if you are out there going, I, I don't have to worry about it. I don't think about it. That you're one hundred percent of trauma patients who need work say that. So yeah. all the minimizing and validating language, one hundred percent of the yeah. time. Oh, it wasn't that bad. 100%. I made it into a worse than I needed. It, it was discipline for me. It helped me be who I am. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All or it that happened stuff. multiple times, so now I'm at fault. Right. <laughs> oh my God, it's people are so crazy. I mean, we are so funny as humans, is what I'm saying. It's uh, just our way to survive, right? Yeah, We're doing yeah. our best to try to make sense of things that don't make sense. Yes. Right? That, Why that, would a parent harm their child? They wouldn't, but it happens. Yeah, I, I went through, I lived through a bunch of verbal abuse when I was a kid, and um, I, I went a lot of therapy and blah, blah, blah. And I have no resentments or feelings about it any longer. However, I am left with one feeling, which is sort of a disrespect of the perpetrator. It's like, you, you just don't do that. You just don't do that. What, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Doing that to kids. Give me a break. So I don't feel resentful or angry or anything else, just sort of disdain. Like, come on. Yeah. Come did on. having your own children kind of exacerbate that a little bit? Too, it, I'd assume. It, it did. Uh, it kind of sent me into therapy, uh, I suspect. I mean, as usual, you know, when you have kids, your stuff comes out or up. And but but it, we had a bunch of other stuff we were dealing with that sent me, I think, to therapy earlier than I would have gone. We one of our kids needed brain surgery when he was one, and my anxiety levels just went through the work, roof, and my and my um, my workaholism went berserk. Mm-hmm. And, and my wife called me one day; I'll never forget the phone call. And she goes, uh, "You need to see a therapist." Like, come on now. And I'd already, you know, I was working in the psychiatric setting full time, and I was already starting to think about I need to like clean my own shit up, make sure it's yeah. not getting in the way of what I'm doing with patients. And I and I gave her that back. I'm like, "Yeah, oh yeah, I'm. Th- I need you're right. I need to do it." She goes, L- "Listen to me. You need <laughs> no, like I'm to- serious. No, like, right now. Like now, 
You, you hear me? Mm-hmm. And, I, and a chill went down my spine. I was like, oh, I hear you. Done. I'm calling right now. It was really interesting. It's that when you really talk directly to somebody, it's incredible, incredibly motivating because <laughs> you're just like, hear me. No. Mm-hmm. See somebody you need. You see, I was like, I can't even reproduce it. It was so serious. Like, ah, ah. Let's yeah. go. And Don't I, brush this off. And I did. Mm-hmm. I called that moment. I put the phone down. I called for a referral. Uh, three days later, I was in the therapist's office and stayed there for 11 years uh, yeah. and uh, had a really great experience. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how much we put off going to therapy. I think it's like anything, right? Taking those extra steps to make an appointment or figuring out what we're going to talk about. Well, we and just, now then, you can go online with stuff. We have online mm-hmm. services and stuff. So the barriers are so much lower. They're less expensive. Come on now. Let's do this. Yeah, that's the silver lining of COVID, to be honest, yep. is that I can't tell you how many of my colleagues were so resistant to, you know, Well, it Zoom. doesn't it doesn't seem like it would work because so much of what we do is attuning our bodies to the patient. But you can yeah. do a lot of that through Zoom. I, I, I imagine you can't do it for long, like indefinitely, you know, to get to certain if they have if the patient has certain needs, at least. But you can get a lot done, it seems. I've seen it. I've seen you like it. Yeah, you know? I, I feel that way. And I was never a big, a huge advocate for online therapy, because like you said, a lot of it is being in tune. Yeah. And I think that's there's a huge I, I specialize in eating disorders and self-injury work. That's like a lot of what my practice has always been. Mm. And there's a lot of that that I need to see. I need to be in the room with you to, sure. to be able to tell. Especially yeah. functionality too, right? Are we showering? Are we able to get dressed? Like if I'm only seeing, you know, the top of you, yeah. it, you could be disheveled and I wouldn't fully know. Yeah. And I think that there are some things that are missed, but there is also to your point, so much work that can be done on, online, you know, in Zoom meetings or whatever. So these traumas can be experienced as something that's called narcissistic injuries. And I'm personally of the opinion that the childhood trauma is the reason we've had such a narcissistic turn. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I want to talk about multiple things going forward here. I want to talk about the impact that social media has on that, uh, both both our personality functioning and our symptomatologies, most particularly PTSD. So talk a little Mm -hmm. bit first about – and, and one of the questions I want to ask you is, do you think we've had a, a turn off narcissism towards histrionic in recent mm-hmm. months? But I'll, let's get to that in a minute. Before you think about it, I want you to talk about PTSD and why that's important as a, as a something related to trauma. You mean PTSD and well, how – Not everyone that has trauma has PTSD, but your book is about yes. PTSD. Uh, so talk a little bit about the importance of that. Yeah. So I think – Resilience. Okay. So let's get into a little bit about the fact that we can all like, you know, you drew and I can be in the same situation. Let's say we grew up together, right. And we had the same abuse that we sustained. However, you might go on to be fine, right? Essentially we have no symptoms of PTSD. There's no irritability. Don't find yourself avoiding the things that remind you of the trauma. And then I am like completely unable to function in my life due to my intense PTSD symptoms, Mm -hmm. but we came from the same experience. And a lot of people, especially siblings will say like, well, why am I struggling so much? And my other siblings are fine. You know, the real term that we use for that is just good old fashioned resilience and resilience is our ability to weather life storms and, and be okay. And unfortunately, we're kind of just born with different levels. Like I was going to say, re- people think of resilience. I, I don't think of that so much as a psychological process. I think that as a constitutional, how our central nervous system is set up. Some people are yes. dandelions and some people are orchids. 
Yes, 100%. And some people are just more like I'd even use my sister in law as a good example. She is just really good at creating a support system. She is constantly seeking out people who really get her that connection we were talking about with, you know, the polyvagal theory and how important that is for Mm -hmm. us. She's always looking for things to do that and making time for it without realizing it. I don't even know if it's necessarily. We need to do a little book about her because, because if we can bottle that, you know what I mean? It could really help people. Oh, 100%. How, how is it that she's always done that? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But some of us are just more predisposed to be that way in the same way we can be predisposed to have more symptoms of PTSD, right. right. To have lower resilience. And and so there are ways that we can generate resilience. Don't think if you were born as an orchid that you can never become more like a dandelion, Uh but it just takes more effort. And that's, you know, kind of like the self-care things that we do, the uh, acknowledgement of some of your false thoughts and challenging them versus letting them spin and live free in your head. Um, I talk a lot about how important our thoughts are because they really run our life, you know? And so all the way back to your question, we can be traumatized yet. Our level of resilience is such that we don't come out of that trauma with PTSD symptoms. And that's just kind of, that's, I think it's the second chapter I get into like, how do I know if I've been traumatized? Right. Because I think it's important for people to know if they've been in a traumatizing situation. And then I dig into what's PTSD, what's complex PTSD, and how do we diagnose and treat that? Want to give a little primer on all three of those? Because I think Mm -hmm. people are interested in that. PTSD, complex PTSD and treatment. Yeah. So PTSD is is the only thing that we have. It's the only diagnosable thing because of the ICD-10 and the DSM, which all you need to know about those is those are just diagnostic manuals we use essentially to give us some kind of guidance and framework. And a lot of times it's just for insurance purposes. So don't well, worry. Let's be fair. Those. Diagnoses are so we can study. So, so diagnoses should have a common biology and a common evolutionary source, like environmental sort of triggers and a common biology. And as such, you can group them together and, and you can charge for it. Insurance is one thing. But the mm-hmm. other thing is you can study it. Yeah, and, you can and track you, it, right? Yeah. If you, if you study the, this one biological group and you find a particular treatment that works for that group, then you can start to predict that given that biology, I can use this treatment and it's likely to work. And if, I'm not, if I can't confirm that biology, I really maybe not – shouldn't be applying said treatment because a lot of people try this, try that. We shouldn't be doing that. We should be trying to come up with at least a provisional theory about what the biology is and what the psychology is, then apply the treatment, and then we can also prognosticate based on that grouping. So that's really the purpose of diagnosis. Is to be able, yes. Yeah. So go ahead. But in many ways, people can feel like it's kind of limiting or you know, there's it, it, a mistake. Yeah. It's, we're, we're talking about you know studying pneumococcal pneumonia. That's a particular mm-hmm. cause of agents, a particular biology, has a particular set of treatments to which it responds to. That doesn't mean that we look at that person as pneumococcal pneumonia. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a person with a disease and it sort, of, it sort of helps us address the disease, but it, it's not turning them into the disease per se. Y- yes, 100%. Yeah. So when it comes to PTSD, that's the, that's the diagnoses that we would have to offer to a person with symptoms like right. uh, extreme irritability, avoidance of the things that remind them of the trauma, you know, flashbacks, dissociation, which um, if you're not familiar with what dissociation is, it's it's really when our system becomes overwhelmed. I call it like our brain pulling the ripcord. Mm. It's like, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Ah! Yeah. And it removes us from self or environment in order to really allow us to continue. 
it's, it's a survival mechanism. And so those symptoms are what we would call PTSD. And that's how we would diagnose it. Now, if we have had repeated traumas in our life where let's say, you know, our childhood was rife with physical abuse and we felt like that was happening constantly. And then we grew up and we got into maybe a, a violent relationship and then maybe we we're in a car crash. People who have these repeated traumas can show signs of what you'd call complex PTSD or CPTSD, which really I would argue is like PTSD with another layer of emotional dysregulation and issues in intense issues in our relationships as a result. And and our functioning overall. So it's, it sort of has yes. a personality overlay kind of thing. It's almost, yeah. A lot of times you'll see a lot of overlap with things like borderline, borderline personality yeah, disorder. Right. Yeah. Borderline and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a quick a note about dissociation. Um, have you noticed that people that have a lot of dissociative experiences in childhood start to use dissociation as a defense strategy? Like, oh, ev- like, like every intense emotion t- triggers some sort of defense, some sort of dissociative strategy. Either it's a somatoform dissociation, like I can't really, f- I have lexithymia, I can't really feel my feelings, yeah. or literally I'm sort of checked out, you know, in the moment. It can have many different sort of protein manifestations, right? One, yeah, 100%. A lot of my patients even will have told me they like it. They prefer oh, yeah. to be dissociated, right? Because yeah. it is a coping skill. Yeah. And, and then some cut themselves to bring themselves back. Yep. <laughs> so they, they <laughs> yeah. cut to go out, they cut to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause we don't know other, again, it's like going back to that resilience. If we mm. don't have a way to acknowledge what we're feeling and soothe, right. Again, it's that self-soothing is so key finding ways to kind of calm our system down. If we don't have that knowledge or wherewithal, we find other ways and self-injury is very common. That's one of my biggest frustrations with the DSM is because self-injury falls only under the a diagnosis of borderline. Uh, borderline. Yeah. And they do have in, you know, areas needing further study is like non-suicidal self-injury. Yeah. And I wish they would move that into an actual diagnosis because so often I have patients, especially with trauma in their past that I don't believe meet all the criteria for borderline personality disorder. Cause mm-hmm. there's no attachment. Mm-hmm. There's no fear of abandonment. Mm-hmm. It's more just soothing. Um, and there's no diagnosis that really fits. Yeah. Huh. It's almost like a, oftentimes I think of it as almost a cutting disorder, much the way we have substance yes. use disorders. Yeah, one hundred percent. I'm just using cutting as an example because it's a common thing. Uh, although, are you seeing less cutting now? I feel like I'm seeing a little less of it. It has gone down. I wouldn't say it's necessarily like gone. In no, any no, way, it's not gone. But, but I, I, but I, I yeah. feel like for whatever reason, I'm not making a, a judgment or a or even a construct. I've just noticed that as gender issues have gone up, cutting has gone down. Hmm. I never thought of it in that direct correlation, but I would say that even online, I hear less and less chatter about Mm -hmm. it, which is usually a good indication of kind of what's happening, Uh you know, under the, under our thin veneer of what we think is going on. Like, I don't hear anybody talking about it as much. We, I definitely saw a like big surge of it maybe five years ago. Yeah. It it comes in little waves. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And then finally you see where you, you mentioned PTSD, complex PTSD and what we can do to treat it. Yes. And the treatment, the thing that was kind of interesting speaking, I'm glad you brought up Vander Kolk and Body Keeps the Score is a wonderful book. I cannot encourage people enough to read that book. It's it's super helpful. Um, they talk about how 
when we're treating trauma, the way I was trained is actually talk therapy. Mm. That was like the golden standard. You, you put your trauma into what you call like a trauma timeline, meaning let's say we have repeated traumas. Do we remember, you know, this happened at seven. Then I remember going to like, I don't know, changing schools. And this was this time. And, you yeah. know, you try to put yeah. it into kind of a timeline yeah. and what we call like a narrative form, like a story. And you talk it through and you're supposed to talk it through so many times that it doesn't have any emotional charge attached to it. Meaning it doesn't cause us to dissociate or fat flashbacks or any of that. We're kind of quote unquote, okay with it. However, we find for about 60% of people, that's not enough. And so in the book, I dig into all the other treatment modalities, everything from uh, what we're talking about, like P uh, Peter Levine and uh, the somatic experiencing where we like move our body to release that stress response, that energy that was tied up in the trauma. We do things to release that. There's also things like EMDR, which is stands for eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing, which is just a fancy term for making your eyes go left to right, like <laughs> REM sleep mm -hmm. and giving your brain another chance. Um, and then even digging into some of the newer and maybe less talked about things like vagus nerve stimulation. And BNS treatment has, it's been beneficial, really beneficial for one of my patients in particular who is struggling with trauma-based symptoms as well as intense suicidality. Um, and then a newer one that it's, it's, some, it's a treatment that's been out for a long time, but not for trauma is stellate ganglion block. Have you oh, heard? Yeah. That? That's interesting. Uh, well, I know that we've been using stellate ganglion and, and other uh, sympathetic ganglion blockades for hyper um, hydrosis chicken mm -hmm. in the hands. And there's a whole army of people out there with all kinds of funny symptoms afterwards. And yes. so it doesn't surprise me they would have some therapeutic value. Yeah, they find that when it blocks that nerve, that cluster of nerves rather, it the flashbacks lessen and the hypervigilance lessens. Interesting. That's really um, interesting. Yeah, I find I mean I'm not a neurologist, so you know, obviously if this is something you're interested in be assessed and treated by a proper a, you know, proper practitioner, but it's very fascinating to me because we do know our body and brain are so closely linked to think that only talking it out is the only way to fix it is just, you know, it's not correct. And there's a burgeoning new area of hallucinogen research. Yes. I have uh, a friend doing the psilocybin research. The psilocybin. And then there was some very good published, published literature. Again, we interviewed uh, the head of uh, uh, MAPS. MAPS. Yeah. Uh, we'll find mm. out that one. And just as he was about to publish the um, uh, MDMA and therapy mm -hmm. and showed some yeah. really good results with, uh, again, complex PS PTSD from uh, military action. Gary, what number is that? Do you have it? Again, the computer's not responding. It's uh, it's Rick Doblin. I'm just trying to pull up the number here. Give me a sec for the number. Okay. Okay. Of course, you hear me speak quite a bit about blood sugar. And I'm not talking strictly about people with diabetes. I'm talking about all of us. Blood sugar figures very prominently into oxidative metabolism, lipid metabolism, and some of the oxidative damage, inflammatory damage that so many of us suffer from. I know myself have a significant issue with this. And let's be clear, you can never supplement your way out of this problem. Diet is extremely important. But look, uh, there are things you can do to help yourself out. And particularly given the addictive nature of sugar and carbohydrates, uh, we have a lot of swings in our blood sugar, and it's very difficult for us to stop and maintain healthy blood sugar levels. One of the ways, of course, is to reduce carbohydrates, that's sugars and starches, and keep more fat and protein coming in, more fiber. 
but uh, we all tend to cheek, so you can consider adding blood sugar breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's an easy supplement, easy to take, and it has several studies to back up its claims. The fact is it contains very commonly known elements that can help us with our blood sugar stability like biotin, chromium, cinnamon, and more. And uh, Bioptimizers, as always, does a lot of research on what's available out there in a supplement to do the work. It safely lowers blood sugar after meals and hopefully keeps you know, keeps a lid on some of these fluctuations that can really do us damage. And for an exclusive offer for our listeners, just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health slash Drew and you'll save 10% with code Dr. Drew 10 when you try Blood Sugar Breakthrough. And if you use that link, that is bloodsugarbreakthrough.health slash Drew, your exclusive 10% discount will already be applied. You know I love public rec. I love public rec. Oftentimes, waste is not quite right or the length is not right. Not with public rec. And look, please do check them out. It's called Leisure Wear with perfect sizes, but I'm telling you, they have an all-day, everyday pant that is a stylish alternative to sweatpants. It feels like sweatpants, but it looks like slacks. You can wear them anywhere. And as I said before, the pockets are carefully designed so they're deep enough. They can be zippered. The back pocket is, you know, your wallet never never falls out because they think about this. They've done all the, they've created all the stuff we want in a pant, and, and they feel great. I wear them all the time. I can't get enough of these things. I Listen, it's breathable, stretchy, moisture-wicking fabric. You can wear them 24-7. I wear them all the time. They come in nine different colors. One for each day if you want. And they also have shorts, T-shirts, Henleys, polos, hoodies, jackets, even golf gear. They are always in my top rotation. As the world has been opening up here, make sure you've got clothes that are as flexible as your life is. Public Rec rarely discounts, but right now they have an exclusive offer just for the Dr. Drew Podcast listeners. Go to Public Rec, P-U-B-L-I-C-R-E-C, publicrec.com slash Drew to receive 10% off. That is publicrec.com slash Drew for 10% off. And, of course, you've heard me talk before about the fact that insurances don't always cover emergency medical flight. Even with comprehensive coverage, you can still get hit with substantial deductibles and co-pays. Protect your family and your finances with an Air MedCare Network membership. As a member, if an emergency arises, the expense of air medical transport is completely covered when flown by an AMCN provider. Membership costs as little as $85 a year, covers your entire household every day, even when you're away from home. That is just pennies a day. And they also, for our Dr. Drew podcast listeners, giving you up to a $50 e-gift card when you join. Wait a minute, it's $85 a year plus a $50 e-gift card. Come on. An AMCN membership is protection no family should be without. As I said, for a limited time, the Dr. Drew listener gets up to a $50 e-gift card when you join. Simply visit airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash Drew. Use offer code Drew. But even uh, ketamine has been used more and more now for yeah. treatment of yeah. depression, trauma. Sure. And I think the way I always approach these things, so people always ask like, oh, what are your thoughts about, you know, CBD, marijuana, psilocybin, all these different treatments. I always tell people, you know, as long as it's done responsibly with someone who has has the knowledge to administer it properly and you're doing it safely, I'm all for it. If it's going to help one person, it's worth it. And I think that we've had such a tri- like a tricky time figuring out how to treat certain people and certain mental illnesses. I'm glad that we're opening things up to more, more options. Yeah. Rick Doblin, episode 482. Uh, however, I just want to point out 
I can't think of any circumstance where any of these things we're talking about are first line therapies. They they are you have to step through things before you get yes. to a point where you want to try these other things because they get riskier and riskier as you go along. Agreed. Um, um, so there we are with treatment. Um, now, one of the things – let me see. I'm writing notes to myself. We did the hallucinogens. <laughs> um, I maybe want to talk a little bit about traumatic reenactments. But before we do, you, you make a point of talking about social media in the book, how it mm-hmm. can positively and negatively affect us. So I want to give you a few minutes to tell me about that. Yeah, I think a lot of times – well, the connectivity of social media can be great, right? It's allowed me to meet wonderful people, to be able to create communities, to find out that you're not alone in your way of thinking or the thing you're struggling with. It's a beautiful thing. However, except when it isn't, (laughs) except when it's not, yeah, except (laughs) when it doesn't work that way. And one way that I believe it's attached to trauma is the fact that people can live stream horrific Mm. acts of violence, Mm -hmm. and we've seen that in the past few years, and even, I mean, recently with you know different things going on in our world, whether it's riots in your city or, you know, someone shooting up a different, I don't know, whether it's a theater or a church or a supermarket or whatever. Um, We've had a lot of events that people have live streamed. I remember in particular watching this woman driving under the influence with her sister in the car and getting in a horrific accident and it killed her sister. And this was live streamed. Mm. So the, the point that I really make in the book is that we really need to protect ourselves with who we we follow and what we consume. And I think so often we kind of just put it on cruise control and go through the internet, whatever social media platform we're on, and we just allow ourselves to digest a bunch of potentially harmful information. And so I, I think, especially for parents, but also for adults in general, you know, us as people need to be more aware of what we're giving ourselves access to online because it can be something that could be really harmful and hurtful. Yeah. So, so you you uh, in the book have some tools on how to manage all this. Can you give us a little hint mm-hmm. on what, what some of those are? Yeah, the first step is kind of what I've referenced a little bit is just taking stock of who you're following. And then I address like ways that you can mute and block people and, and how that's important. It's an important, healthy boundary, like how boundaries now aren't just in our relationships in person. They're also in relationships online and just even noticing so that, so one is just taking stock of who you're following and how you feel about it. And then noticing how you feel before and after checking things online. So like, is Twitter maybe not a safe place for you? Cause when I get off, I feel super anxious and mm-hmm. overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should take a, you know, take a break from that platform. And on your YouTube channel, do you talk about these kinds of things? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the time. Are you like regularly on there? Yeah, I I post videos on my main channel every Monday, Mm -hmm. and it's just a different mental health topic. There's no weird questions. Like right now, I'm working on a video about child-on-child sexual abuse because I don't think people talk enough about that. It's very common. Um, It is super common. Um, And then every Thursday over on my podcast channel, I release a podcast, Ask Katie Anything, where I just go through questions from my audience. There's about 10 that I answer. Let's talk about child and child sexual abuse for a second. The, the stuff that always jumps out of me, first of all, it's always an adult that sexually abuses a child and then that child acts out on other children. That's how that happens. Yes. People wonder how that happens. That's how that happens. Uh, and sometimes even within family systems. The, yes. the, the victim of child and child sexual abuse often has difficulty seeing it as sexual abuse when it is sexual abuse. Uh, and maybe address that a little bit because it, it do, it's not as adult. It's not as, you know, sort of laden with adult sexuality, but it is equally as problematic for the child that is exposed to it. 
Yes, 100%. And that invalidation or that minim- minimization of what happened is what they struggle with most is what I've heard from my audience members. Because when it happens from an adult, obviously we can prosecute that adult in a court of law. And you feel like that was wrong. I'm the child. You know, I can't consent all of the things that we tell people, right? But when mm-hmm. it comes to child on child, it's like, well, they were abused too. Right. And they're just doing this because they don't understand. That's right. right? There's this... Uh, because they're so young, there can be this like, well, they don't, they're not at fault either. So who's at fault? Right. Well, they they then, even, they'll even usually just go, it's just playing doctor. It's just normal stuff. Um, I was like, it's no, no, curiosity. no, it's not normal. A non-sexual abuse child will not go there. Inserting yes. things, touching things. Mm-mm. If that's happened yeah. to you, that is big T trauma. Agreed. Agreed. And because children are curious about the body, but it's more like, what's that? Yeah. How come that's there? Yeah. The there's point no and sexual, look, there's no, yes. nothing directed about it. Nothing. Because they don't understand, right? If you think about, you don't know what you don't know. As a kid, you don't understand sex. There's, n- you don't there's, understand sexual acts. No, there'd be no way to c- conceive of sexuality. Mm-hmm. They're just conceiving of anatomical variation and looking, wondering about that and exactly. differences among people. When it becomes no boundary, people are touching, or yeah. directed in some way anyway, something being inserted, some mouths, whatever. No, 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 yeah. no. That's not playing doctor. That is big T trauma. And if you wonder why you're having some issues now, uh, you can go right back to that. Do, do you find that those child and child I, – I find that the child and, sexual, child and child sexual abuse is a little less profound in its effects typically, but it always has effects. And so I'm wondering – is, is if EMDR is particularly good for that because it's such a it tends to be somewhat a little more contained. While a big T trauma gets you know I, I mean a, a, a more intense trauma tends to bleed into traumatic reenactments very quickly, mm, <laughs> and so yeah, people get yeah. more more traumatized. It can be. I think um, what I've found is EMDR as well as somatic experiencing. I think there's a lot, especially when we don't feel like it's it's not you know quote unquote not a real big deal. trauma. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. Yeah, it, it can get kind of held into our body yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I've heard from a lot of my uh, patients and even viewers recently because I'm I'm a huge advocate. This is going to sound silly, but for a full body shake. So if you feel overwhelmed. If you find yourself feeling really anxious, shake out like a dog from the bath, mm. from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. Just give us a full shake mm. and you will be out of breath. That doesn't mean you're out of shape. It's just because mm-hmm. you were sitting, you stood up, you shook. Mm-hmm. And that releases, for me, it releases a lot of anxious, worry thoughts that aren't helpful if I'm having a Well, it's interesting. It's a, it's a sympathetic discharge. It's like what happens mm-hmm. when we have a fever and stuff. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I find with my trauma patients, they'll report back it bringing up a lot of those experiences uh. and those feelings that that they had because like we said at the beginning we tend to like stuff it down yeah. or i've already thought about it once it's not uh, a big deal yeah. well they didn't know what they were doing nobody's at fault blah, blah, blah. Yeah. and that can sometimes release a little bit of that obviously that's not like a full treatment modality but i think it's a good a good release that we can all use from time to time and then traumatic reenactment what, mm-hmm. what can we say about that? Because that's a, that's a mysterious process that humans engage in. Well, th- that's kind of like the child-on-child sexual abuse, yep. right? Why yep. are they doing this thing with another child? Is they're trying to make sense of it? Is really in a lot of ways, I think we do it. I guess the best analogy or best comparator would be like, why do I keep finding myself in this exact same relationship with different people? 
right? Well, I keep doing the same thing. I, I believe that, that that is something that people don't think enough about, which is that trauma sets up attraction, that you mm-hmm. are literally attracted, like like tractor yes. beam attracted to perpetrators and circumstances that are identical to the original trauma without being aware of it. In fact, yes. you'll even have the thought to yourself, I can go safely with that guy because he's nothing like the perpetrators. And yet if you're attracted, I guarantee it's a perpetrator. Yes, in the book I pattern. say it's, it's good to be uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, Which we always, I always tell against. people, I always tell people, you know, it should not be lightning bolts. If, if you have a repetitive pattern of being attracted to mm-hmm. perpetrators or problematic relationships, that's lightning bolts every time. No, but you're a perfect yeah. instrument. Your body is a perfect instrument if it hasn't been treated, and it will always direct you back to these situations. And you should think butterflies, not lightning bolts. Yes, and it should be a slow grow where you slowly mm-hmm. get to know each other in a very, uh, I don't know, regular pace versus yeah. this like rush to yeah. jump in and yeah it's so exciting i've never been so in love that's pretty much how they i feel like that's what it feels like you know and that i think uh, that's in a way that is part of the trauma reenactment you know yeah. it's like we we're trying to our brain is doing its best to try to make sense of something that happened trying to process it through and if we don't have tools to do that we try to act it out again to try to make sense of it really yeah, i don't know do you agree that's kind of how i i, I know it, really. psychologists almost always say that i just think it's some biological system that gets wired into the uh, reward mm-hmm. apparatus i don't know why i can't think i can't figure out from an evolutionary perspective except there might be a canary in the coal mine component to it in terms of mm-hmm. The rest of the population avoiding what that person is doing repetitively. You know what I mean? There might be sort of something to be learned for the population while yeah. the while the individual also – and check this out. This is my other theory. That particularly when it, when there went – all right. This, this is actually my more, more significant theory. When there is trauma during childhood, that's a sign that the environment is unstable. And and that life expectancy may be short. And so from an evolutionary standpoint, our genes would want us to reproduce as quickly as possible. And so, it, it, you know, sexual acting out is part of traumatic reenactment often. And so yes. – and often young. And so it, it, it motivates us in a fucked up way to go reproduce immediately to try to, you know, because we're not going to live very long. And so quick, let's get something, let's get our genes pushed forward. I think that's the evolutionary reason for this thing. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, again, we don't, you know, we're kind of just hypothesizing. I've Well, it's whenever, think, whenever you reason about evolutionary psychology, you can, there's never evidence, you know, you can never test it. Of course it. not. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's always just a, a just so argument. I understand that. But it makes sense. I can't think of any other reason why we would enact, reenact like that. It just makes sense that, you know, unstable, awful environments. And by the way, when you've been traumatized, it injures you. And in, and in fact, your life expectancy gets shorted. And people with borderline personality disorder have a short life expectancy if they're untreated, if it's bad. Well, yeah, and, impulsive behavior yeah. I mean, can be very dangerous. Yeah. And yeah. so, the evo- again, you got it, the evolution doesn't care what it does to the individual. It cares about pushing the genes forward. And so it mm-hmm. makes sense to me that that would be the mechanism. Yeah. So, and I, I mean, I've always kind of attached it. That, that makes sense. I never thought about it from that perspective. I've just always attached it to the uh, – it's like the fact that dysfunction is comfortable. It's what yeah, we're used and, and, to. Right. And that's what, again, every psychologist I've ever spoken to always said that it's either mastery or comfort or both mm-hmm. or one, one of those two sort of theories. 
But that is to me also just so. It, it's yes, that's a fact. That is true, and but that's not reason. It's not. Yeah. It's not. You know, why is our? That, that's not like the way biology. biology. Yeah, it's not the way biology mm-hmm. works. And so I'm a biologist, so I'm always trying to think biologically, and that's sort mm-hmm. of why I come to that stuff. And I'm in the psychology realm, so it's it, all brain. It, exactly, <laughs> I, and I totally get it. Together, totally, we have the full answer. I, I think that's right. <laughs> I think it has. It has all these elements to it. So. Uh, okay, so traumatic reenactments are where people essentially repeat the patterns of the past. And uh, those of you that had, you know, why do I keep attracting the same guy? Why is this happening in a relationship every time? It's you, and you need to go to therapy. And you can work that shit out really easily. That's the thing that astonishes me. You don't have to suffer with these reenactments. Therapy works very, very, very well to disrupt some of this stuff. 100%. It totally yeah. does. It's, I know it's just hard for people to get into it. and But like we said earlier, there's so many ways now to make it easier, cheaper, more accessible. So back to my comment about the personality shifts. So we've been talking about trauma, which is associated with something we call narcissistic injuries. That's associated with what are called cluster B personalities. We've been talking about borderline and narcissist and antisocial and sociopath and oppositional defiance to some degree. All these things sort of figure in to the results of trauma sometimes, not all the time, but they're common themes in, in trauma. There's another disorder, personality Trait and again, there's a difference between disorders and traits. We're really talking about traits now, really more than disorder, because disorders don't really change that much, but traits can change a lot. Uh, and there's another cluster B personality that I never used to see. I saw it very rarely: the histrionic personality disorder. And I feel like we've moved into that during COVID. Like we've like all. If you look at the criteria for histrionic. We, we we as a as a group as a, as a population are starting to meet every criteria, and and it, and I'm wondering if I am I onto something, and is that is this a situational thing that's going to pass, or are we seeing another shift, much like we had the narcissistic shift? I mean, I hope it will pass. <laughs> I hope I'd so like too. To. <laughs> I think it will. Put, can but you I, put cut up the criteria for histrionic personality up on the on the board if you can? We'll just sort of go through it. But go ahead, Katie. Yeah, my my hypothesis about that is that we've shifted towards it because of the lack of connection. So you think? You, you, but you agree we have? Yes, and I've seen it more. Did, did, did you? Would you? Were you having that thought before I said it to you? About histrionic? Yes, it, it's been a few months since I've put any thought into it, but I've I've heard more about it. People are calling it narcissism, but it's not the same. And it trying to get people to understand how it's a little bit different and, and why that's what's coming out. Um, that's really, really interesting. Because I, because social media. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't surprise me. I can't quite read it. It's too small. Can we, I'm going to read the criteria really quick. Okay. So we don't want to check him out. Um, Diagnostic criteria, center of attention, inappropriately seductive, shallow, rapidly shifting emotions. This is the thing I've seen. That's number one for me. Uh, preoccupied with physical attention, dramatic, impressionistic speech that lacks detail. Man, that's on that's now. So, that's on, yeah. so on. Exaggerated <laughs> theatrical emotional expression. That's on. That's on. Easily influenced by others. This is the that's thing huge. that I like huge right now in, in, in situations. Assumes relationships are more intimate than they are. Again, that's back to the – I think that's the tribal stuff and that's the you know seeking – You know, we were talking about the lightning bolts. Mm-hmm. Um, unstructured so – uh, often an element of diet is self-reporting inventory. Let me see a patient's state of mind. Let me see a little more. There's something in here. I was oh that that they uh, they tend towards delusionality. They yeah. become delusional, and I'm telling you, there is delusion all over the place these days, which I had not seen before. That's what caught my attention. I started seeing people saying things where I'm like, that's delusional thinking. That's not mm-hmm. that's not 
that's not real. I mean, that everybody, everybody's a Nazi, for instance, and everybody, oh, yeah. and everyone's a Hitler, and everyone's a Nazi. That's delusional. When people started talking about Nazis and Hitler in 2005, I put them in the hospital. Yeah, uh, for for frank delusionality. Now that delusion is sort of everywhere, and I thought, oh, that's a change, and that's what got me starting to think about. That's what got me thinking about histrionic. Yeah, I feel like COVID has really brought it to light, or I don't know if it's you can even say that like it created more histrionic I, 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 traits. Right. I mean, is our narcissist in this situation prone to histrionic? I, I don't know if that works. I, I know. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel it, especially with like cancel culture. It feels very much like this, like um, delusional thinking. Um, you know, it, it's like you get enough people talking about it that it's like it's fact. And, 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 and then swept into it, they said, un- yep. affected by others' ideas rather mm-hmm. than sitting and thinking about it, superficial, doesn't think, doesn't yep. move. And, and I, I would argue maybe it is a really interesting thing to be to understand is whether or not, let's say, during the French Revolution when the guillotines were up, was there more histrionic stuff going on then? It would be interesting because it, yeah, it, like, it feels like a histrionic would be more prone to scapegoating. Feels yes, to me 100%. like it would be. yeah, and I think that's kind of part of that. I know people aren't going to like this phrase, but like the social justice warrior type of things online feel very histrionic to me. Very histrionic. And 100%. when people say like, "Oh, you virtue signal," I'm like, "That's really histrionic behavior." Correct. Is somebody writing about this? Katie, please write I, about this. Do YouTube <laughs> on it, please. Because I'll put it, I'll put because, it on my list. Yeah, yeah, because it, it does. It should come from a psychologist, not from a, a medical doctor. Uh, and I think I think it's something that people. And please, if you do it, notify me, and I'll tweet okay. the shit out of it. Because I think it's something that people should be. It should be on their radar. Yeah. Um, and and you you got it you get it I mean we're both on the we are on the exact same page with this thing and both of us are way out in, in speculation about it and yet we've experienced it in a very particular way that's based in fact and yeah. and we, and we're in a, we're both in a position to think about it from a place of knowledge and experience and so this is not a trivial matter this needs to be sort of brought up a little bit. Yeah, so, agreed. Know. I'll I'll put it on the list and start so, digging into and it. And also talk if you could I, I can't wait to see whatever you put you put on the list. How how much how big is your list? Oh, no, I mean like <laughs> put it at like the top of your list. Bit. Put it at the top of your list, damn it. <laughs> so um but but I'm also see I don't know how to treat histrionic. I kind of know how to treat narcissists cuz cuz all all the all the drug addicts have narcissistic disorders, or at least behave like that. And, and um but I'm not sure how to treat histrionic. So I'd be interested in that too if there's something collectively we could do to kind of bring online what we know to be healthy for histrionic. Yeah, because I've only treated a few histrionic patients in the over the years. I think <clears throat> two that I can think of quickly. Yeah. And uh, it was based in trauma for yeah, these two, course, course. which I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's sa- similar to trauma treatment. You know, I know there's a lot of shame and embarrassment that comes along with the like needing of attention and yeah, yeah. over sexualized behavior mm-hmm. and things like that. But, but yeah, I'll, I'll dig into it. I haven't talked about histrionic personality disorder in a long time. I mean, I, mean, I, so. I, I avoided it because I don't like histrionics. I, I, I don't do well with them. And I, and I find, and I, and I also don't like delusional paranoid thinking. It, it I just hate mm-hmm. it because it's not, you can't reason with there's it. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can no. do. It's just very upsetting. And so histrionics for me have always been something, and it's probably why I'm so uncomfortable in today's world this is not fun for people to be in that kind of mode it's not it's not a very it's not productive <laughs> it's not a productive mode agreed yeah. well katie listen this has been a great conversation the book is traumatized identify understand and cope with ptsd and emotional stress we didn't even talk about emotional stress which is a whole other giant topic but we sort of flirted around it so you got to read the book uh get the book it's available now uh, in addition to 
dealing with trauma and PTSD. Of course, all of us are under emotional stress right now and dealing with social media. She gives us tools for that and who can't use that. Twitter at Katie Morton. Go to follow her on Twitter to wait wait uh, patiently for her conversation about histrionic disorder, which we'll all be <laughs> waiting for. And also on Instagram, she'll have a post about histrionics at, at K-A-T-I Morton 1. And of course, the YouTube is where the longer form uh, Katie Morton histrionic video can be seen. So sign up for her YouTube. Uh, Abantois, as I say, uh, in French. I've been deep in French, guys. Deep, deep, deep. Um, like I'm, I'm constantly trying to get that. I'll talk about that later with Adam. Uh, Katie, anything else? Anything I missing, missed here? No. Wonderful. Thanks for having these conversations. I, I think it's just important we talk about it. I agree. And it's always good to see you and good to talk with you. So thank you for this. Thank and you. we'll see everyone next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Matrix, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free.